Hello, you filthy breeders. Welcome to podcast number 84 of the Blind Boy Podcast. How are you getting on? I hope you've been having a lovely, gentle time and enjoying yourself. If you're a brand new listener, um, from because there's been adverts on Acast getting new listeners in, so if you're one of these new listeners who's never heard the podcast before, um, I go back to an earlier episode. You don't have to start immediately now. And also, if you're listening on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and leave a comment. Not even if you're a new listener, if you're a an old listener too. I'll tell you why. Like the past six weeks or two, two months, this podcast has been available on Spotify, which is class because that's handy for a lot of people. A lot of people want to listen to their podcasts on Spotify. Um, I do it myself, you know, because you're just in one place and it's handy. But the kind of slightly negative thing for me with people listening on Spotify is the most important app for podcasts is iTunes. Specifically, if a lot of people are listening to you on iTunes and they're leaving ratings and leaving comments and subscribing, you're more likely for that podcast to then be suggested to other people or for it to appear in charts and things like that. So I've had a slight drop-off because so many people have been going over to Spotify. So even if you are listening on Spotify, if you'd like to do something sound, just head back over to iTunes for two seconds and leave a little rating for the podcast. Just give it give it a few stars and you can even leave a comment if you want. That actually really helps me. So do that if you get the time, please. So... It's May, it's May, and I fucking love May, lads. I love early May in particular. I, it's, I think it might be my favourite time of the year because it's so optimistic. Just in terms of the weather. I speak a lot about, you know, looking at your environment and looking at the weather and trying to find meaning in it. In terms of a, a here and now existence, you know. If I go for a walk or a run, I try and be present in nature. I try and take note of the smells, take note of the, you know, the feeling of, of the ground is very different to the feeling of the ground. Like in, in November, if you're walking, it's squishy. It might be hard if it's cold because of ice. You might get a little bit of cold in through your sock. You know, all these things are trying to be aware of. In May, it's totally different too, but also the smells and the colours are completely different. And to be honest, like I do, I, I search for beauty in the death and decay of November. And it's hard going. You know, it is hard going. You really have to look for it. But in early May, it's served to you on a fucking platter. Just look at the, the trees, like the quality of leaf that's on, on the trees at this time of year. It's this gorgeous emerald you know this really young vibrant these leaves that are just fresh out of their buds and they give off this lovely smell of dew or whatever I don't know what it is and the flowers are out as well bees are having great crack wasps are having crack it's a very optimistic time of year the birds lads the sound of the birds the chicks are out they're getting fed I love early May mornings and evenings so what I've been trying to do is 
as you know, I love my running. I love to run three, four times a week for my mental health. It's a huge part of my mental health regime. And I, I've been doing it in the mornings and the evening. I've been splitting it into 5K in the morning, 5K in the evening. So, what was it I wanted to... Yes, this is what I'm tying together. People are always asking me, do I take supplements? I do take one or two. Now, I don't know whether supplements work or not. Case in point, go into fucking Holland and Barrett. Look at any supplement and on the side of it, it never says what it does. It will never say to you, this supplement is good for your eyes. That to me says, because they legally can't prove it. So, a lot of supplement stuff, the science behind it is ropey. So I just go on experiential. I take ZMA, that's keeps your testosterone kind of level, I suppose. At, at 25, your testosterone fucking dips off. So if you take ZMA, it's just zinc, magnesium and vitamin B6. Apparently that will keep your testosterone levels healthy, which means that if you're exercising, you have good testosterone in your body and you sleep better. I find it works. I don't know. Could be bullshit. I also take turmeric for my lungs. Don't know if it works. Having a clue, but what harm? But then, yes, another supplement I've started taking recently, which, personally, I do think I'm noticing a difference. Unfiltered apple cider vinegar. Teaspoon of it into a pint of water, morning and evening. The reason I got it is I had these itchy palms, and I didn't know what it was. And I think what it was is I did two courses of antibiotics there a couple of months ago and that can fuck up your stomach bacteria like when you take antibiotics especially two courses of them it will kill all the bacteria in your body and you need to have a good balance so I think mine was off and it expressed itself as this weird skin infection or itchy palms or whatever the fuck I had itchy palms and itchy elbows so I took cider vinegar and it went away in a day so that to me says the probiotic qualities of unfiltered apple cider vinegar sorted out but another unintended consequence I get very sore knees after running if I do a run the next day my knees are swollen and sore and things like climbing stairs are a bollocks and I hate it because I fucking love running but I also don't like having sore knees when I'm climbing up the stairs that literally went as soon as I started taking this apple cider vinegar so I'm able to run in the mornings and the evenings. No knee pain. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I looked it up and apparently there's claims that apple cider vinegar can be very good for your joints. Do you know? But none of it's proven. That's the problem. There's no hard science behind it. It's more kind of anecdotal. But my experience of it, yes, it has gotten rid of my knee pain. I don't know, is that a placebo? I'm not sure. But why am I talking about apple cider vinegar? Because someone asked about supplements. Am I sponsored by Big Vinegar? No, I am not. I am not sponsored by any supplements, nothing. I'm answering a question. You cunts. Alright, what do I want to talk about this week? This week, I've got... It's a hot take. It's something... What I want to inv- I want to investigate something this week, and it's something that I've learned over the years, just in, in just in my experience of living and dealing with myself and dealing with people. It's the hot take about how Im- 
emotions can make us stupid, we'll say. Now, first of all, I don't like the word stupid. I don't use that word. I don't, I specifically don't like the word stupid as a fucking label. You can disagree with me. I genuinely don't think there is such thing as a stupid person. I don't think that's, I just don't think that's the case. I don't, I'm not into this concept of fucking IQ where you measure people based on intelligence. In my dealings with people, you just, I don't think stupid is a thing. I'm much more interested in, there's a model of intelligence called, it was started by a dude called Howard Gardner, and it's known as the multiple intelligences model. And this is the more modern appraisal of human intelligence. It's closer to, if you ever if you've ever taken like an aptitude test, it's not far off that. So what multiple intelligences says is that rather than humans being, we'll say, an IQ, which is a number, a determinative number, instead humans are on a scale where we all have different, mul- uh, different varied, multiple types of intelligence. And some people are stronger in this place and some people are stronger in that place. That's what I believe and it's how I experience humans. So what I want to get at is a lot of people I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this now without using language that's not shitty, right? So if I use shitty language, understand that I'm using it as I'm I'm using it in the way that it's used in society rather than me using it right now. So people who we would people who behave in ways that we would traditionally call dumb or stupid a lot of it in my experience it has nothing to do with intelligence it has to do with emotions and the literacy literacy that a person has around their emotions and how that basically overrides cognitive decisions cognitive being rational thinking decisions okay and a lot of these people if you consider them stupid dumb silly whatever you want to call it but just buddies of yours friends of yours you go oh they're they're thick they can't be relied upon they're forgetful they have shit memories um if you ask them to do a task they'll do it arseways they won't turn up on time. They'll fuck things up. These type of things that we say about a person. And then you'll go, don't rely upon them, they're thick. Like, I've dealt with many, many people with these labels through work and through socialising in my life. And I've never found that to be true. Instead, what I've found is these people... And actually, I should stop saying these people because I should include myself in this as well. It's about emotional literacy. Not understanding and being able to correctly label your own emotions will mean that your decision-making, your memory, 
all this stuff is negatively negatively impacted by this and as a result you will behave in ways that would be labeled as thick dumb or stupid and it's really fucking unfair um another issue i have as well just as an aside with the you know labeling people as smart or dumb like if you get me like you, you listen to this podcast so if you get me talking about art we'll say or music something that i'm confident in knowledgeable about something i innately understand you'll come away from that and you'll go wow that that fucking blind boy fella is really smart jesus did did you hear him talking about uh music or did you hear him talking about uh art paintings how does he know so much he he he's smart he's intelligent right and i get that a lot from people people go jesus you're really intelligent the way you speak about art and music and yeah because within my multiple intelligences i'm very strong in creative fields so therefore not only have i an innate ability in those areas i'm also comfortable in those areas it doesn't trigger any negative emotions for me i actually feel quite confident in those areas so as a result of that the speech from my brain to my mouth is uninterrupted enthusiastic passion and we then read this as someone being smart but when when i'm in situations where none of these things are being spoken about let's just say my my weakest area we'll say is in maths i'm very 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 poor in maths unbelievably poor i have difficulty counting my fingers and that's not a joke when i'm in these situations and if someone only met the, met me in those situations they would walk away thinking he's thick he's thick as pig shit and several things happen like w- let's just say i go to a shop if i go to a shop and i'm buying something and i'm handed back change if the person behind the counter was to ask me how much change did i give you first off i'm i'm naturally not great at counting change number 1 then what happens and this is the big big issue like that will emotionally trigger me so if i'm asked put on the spot in a situation to count change what happens is a big load of fear comes up in my belly i start to experience anxiety and i go oh fuck I am shit at maths. I know I am shit at maths. My entire life I've been shit at maths. Now I'm an adult who's barely able to count. I have shame around this. I'm now being asked in a shop to tell them how much fucking change I have and I can't count this shit in my hand. Now the thing is, if I was able to relax around it, I probably would have a... I'd have a good chance at counting that change. I wouldn't be the best at it, but I'd be able to. But because I'm putting the spot, my emotions kick in, and now I'm definitely not counting the change. And I would probably run out of the shop, say something really stupid, or just grab the money and throw it into the fucking the nearest poor box so I wouldn't have to count it, and leave. And that person's experience of me would be, what's that person's problem? Are they thick? 
So in situations where I'm being asked to count, I my behaviour would be labelled as stupid, dumb or thick. And if I was in a job, we'll say, where the only skills that are asked of me are my numerical ability, I would be labelled as an unreliable, thick, stupid person. I'm using quotes for all of these now. These are all quote-unquote. I'm not using these labels. I'm saying this is how society sees it. So what I want to talk about this week is how emotional flooding, we'll say, how a surge of emotion in our body can bypass our cognitive abilities and cause us to behave in ways that are seen as or labelled as thick, stupid or dumb and why a lot of friends that you have that you might label as being these things or yourself are actually not and how we can work around it. So what I want to get at in this in this podcast is you, me, all of us, right, we have aspects in our everyday lives where we're essentially behaving in, in a dumb or stupid way, okay? Now, I'm going to... What do I mean by that? What I mean is... Everyday situations throughout your day where you're not... The tenets of this are you're, you're not solving problems effectively. You're not behaving in your own best interests. Um, you're not getting what you want out of situations. And most importantly, later on in the day with hindsight, when you look back, you're able to see that you're kind of going... Why the fuck did I say that? Why the fuck did I do that? Why did I back away from that? And then, in a more toxic way, you can you can find yourself going, Why am I so fucking stupid? Why am I so thick? That's the more toxic end of it, which can reinforce. Um, It's like, you're aware of these things on, in hindsight. And we all kind of have this. And it doesn't really have to be that way. My life used to be full of this shit and then I got around it. So I'm going to talk about some of the examples and how you kind of get around it. Here's the classic which everyone can relate to, right? This is this is a real fucking classic. Think back to when you were a teenager and you really, really fancied somebody. You know, a boy or a girl, whatever. This person who you had a crush on and you're a teenager and then you're placed in a situation where you have to speak to them you know you're around them and you have to now have a conversation with this person you have a a crush on and firstly think of think of how it feels well it it it's kind of, you feel anxious. Not anxious in that threatened way, but you don't feel at ease. You feel self-conscious. I mean, I remember if there was 15, 16 talking to a girl I fancied, my mouth would go dry. I'd have difficulty forming sentences and words. When words or sentences did come out, it would be something 
which I would later label as fucking stupid or dumb. And the, they leave, the girl or the boy leaves, and then you're back talking to your friends and you're normal again, you're able to be you. And you're left going, how, how the fuck am I supposed to ask this girl to go out with me when even being around her, I'm a thick bastard. And that's a common thing for all fucking people. The heartbreaker of that is, and this is this is the, the old cliche where it's like, nearly everyone, especially when they're a teenager, will say, the person that you fancy never fancies you back, and the people that fancy you are the ones that you don't fancy. And I think there's a really simple emotional reason for that. Like, how how is another person supposed to find you attractive if when you're around them, you're a bumbling idiot who is essentially, like, not only is a bumbling, but you're giving off energy that's very anxious and you're also not comfortable in your own skin. You're not yourself. So no human being is really going to find that endearing or attractive. The, the micro signals of that are not going to draw another human towards you. Um, it most likely it would push someone else away and that's the tragedy of that kind of teenage puppy love shit you know also as well we tend to universally we tend to be attracted to people who make us feel at ease when you meet someone and they're so comfortable in themselves that they're cool and relaxed and calm that's attractive do you know what I mean so that explains why the people you don't fancy fancy you because you're being yourself around them. But anyway, why does this happen? Why? What, what the fuck is that? What's the point of that? Well, what it is, is... Now, now I'm no expert on the fucking human brain. I'm, I'm not trained in this. I'm not studied in this. So I have a very basic knowledge that I would have gleaned from just books I've read, okay? So this will... Anyone who studies the brain will laugh at me. But here's the gist of it. So there's a very primitive part of your brain called the thalamus or the hypothalamus. And this is... It's an immediate kind of sensory tiny part of the brain that is quite... It's not very complex. It perceives uh, food. You know, if something is nice, if something is threatening, that's what this part of the brain does. But it's the... It's the alarm of the brain, we'll say. It's not responsible for complex thought. It's responsible for the immediate detection of sex, food, or danger. And this part of the brain, alongside the amygdala, have been parts of our brains billions and billions of years before we were humans. Going back billions of years ago, these were the parts of the brains, the the thalamus and the amygdala. These are the parts of the brain that are responsible for triggering emotions. And they're not about thinking, we'll say. The part of the brain that's about thinking, that really complex human part of the brain that took millions of years to evolve, that's the, the region is called the neocortex. If you're relaxed and you're listening to this podcast and you're taking in what I'm saying... And not only taken in, but you're engaging with what I'm saying and you're simultaneously listening to me, uh, agreeing with me, disagreeing with me, thinking of situations in your life that apply to the shit that I'm saying. 
that's you engaging your neocortex, the really complex part of our brains that's responsible for problem solving, understanding things, ideas. That's the neocortex. So when we perceive an immediate threat or a desire, these emotional things, when that's really intense, what can happen is the primitive part of the brain, the amygdala and the thalamus, they can kind of take over and they can bypass, in a sense, this lovely big neocortex, which is responsible for rational, measured thinking. So what happens when you are talking, you know, you're 15 and you're talking to the girl that you fancy? What's going on there? Well, what happens is, you know, first off, fancying someone and being in love they're mad weird things that that does to the brain you know they're fantastic um, you know the butterflies in the stomach they're, they're all quite similar in a way to how we experience anxiety but it's like good anxiety um, and there's a mixture of good and bad anxiety you know it's getting at the deepest part of yourself that needs to reproduce and pass on your fucking genes but the thalamus and the amygdala kind of perceive it as I don't want to say, not a threatening situation, an emotionally stimulating situation, right? That's what they perceive it as, an emotionally stimulating situation. So they go into overdrive. They don't really connect with the neocortex, the part of yourself that wants to have a regular, normal conversation because a threat is perceived. Now, there also is the other threat. Actually, this is a big part of it. When you're 16, 15... You're really, really, really fucking insecure. No, like, teenagers don't have adult senses of self-esteem. It's quite normal for a teenager to have low self-esteem because teenagers are finding their sense of self, so they don't have a solid sense of self to ground themselves in in the first place. So, I think as well, thinking back to that teenage situation, talking to the person you fancy, it's the threat of rejection and what rejection means for somebody who doesn't have a solid sense of self if you don't have a solid grounding in self and you can't go home later on that day and say you know someone else's opinion of me doesn't matter you don't have that when you're 15 if the girl you fancy doesn't like you it is heartbreaking or the lad you fancy doesn't like you it's heartbreaking because you've placed all your self-worth and value in their opinion of you and you also want them so the brain perceives it as this big emotional threat. And when the amygdala and the thalamus take over your brain, they can do three things and three things only. Fight or flight. We've spoken about this before when it comes to anxiety. When it comes to anxiety, the fight or flight response kicks in. But this isn't really full-on anxiety situation. The third thing it will do is it will freeze. So when you're there talking to that other person you fancy and your mouth is dry and you have butterflies in your stomach and you can't talk and you can't form sentences or words freeze has kicked in in that situation freeze has kicked in and the mad interesting thing about that is like you can trace that through evolution again right back to when we were lizards before the dinosaurs like I said, the, the, this emotional centre of the brain, the thalamus and the amygdala, they're billions of years old, 
and they're the first parts of the brain that developed in the earliest creatures that came out of the oceans. Even the fucking fish, the first brains that ever evolved, had these thalamus and the amygdala. And I've spoken before about, you know, when you experience intense anxiety, you can feel you can feel like you need to shit. You can feel like you need to take a shit, right? Uh, literally shitting yourself. Before I said the reason was the little lizard a billion years ago, if they shat themselves, they could evacuate their fucking bowels, they'd lose half their weight as a result and they can run away faster. So that's the flight response, okay? Um, that can happen during intense anxiety situations and, and that's why as well I think people with anxiety over a long time end up with stomach complaints. But a freeze is a different one. The little lizard who is about to get eaten by another lizard and feels this threatening situation and their amygdala kicks in. Our ancestors, like lizard ancestors, they can freeze. They play dead. They don't move. So that the predator or the threat simply goes, this is not food, I must walk away. So when you're 15, 16, talking to the person you fancy, the lizard brain from a billion years ago kicks in and instead of being, a, you know, trying to let the other person know, I fancy the fuck out of you, will you go on a date with me? Your amygdala has perceived them as a predator and your food and you don't want to get eaten, so you freeze. And the reason I'm talking about the having the crush when you're a teenager is that I, I think that's ubiquitous we've all fucking had that that's a part of growing up and it's not really relevant once you get to about 1920 that's not really that relevant you you move on beyond that but the mechanism of essentially freezing and then later on that day saying to yourself that was dumb why did I behave in such a dumb fashion that shit we do carry on into adulthood like I said, that's what happens me if I'm placed in a situation where my numerical or mathematical abilities are kind of brought to the fore. I will freeze and I'll do some dumb shit. I'll throw the coins on the floor. I'll run out of the shop. I will not behave like an adult. It will trigger me emotionally and I have to have an awareness around it. Um, just one really really silly example but I do think it's relevant in this situation I'm an adult man I can't roll joints I'm unable to roll joints okay now I'm an artist I'm good with my hands I can make things I can paint but if you fucking hand me the you know a bag of weed and some skins are not even fucking weed if I just have to roll a cigarette I can't fucking do it my hands will freeze I have to be really aware around it. Even when I tried to get better at it, it's difficult. Because when I was 14 in school, um, I, I, what was it? We'd, we'd all just started smoking weed. And I'd, or no, it was hash back then. We'd all started smoking anyway. So I rolled a joint at home, right? I rolled a joint at home. And I was just learning and I kind of made a bollocks of it, right? I made a bollocks of this joint. And I'd managed to lick the sticky part of it. So I fixed it with Pritt stick, okay? 
So I'd made the giant, it was grand, and I'd hidden it in... Do you remember those white marker pens that you could use to erase ink? I'd managed to hide the giant perfectly in that. So I took it out anyway, and I was showing the lads. And I foolishly told one of them, this giant didn't work properly, so I stuck it with Pritt stick. And this ended up passing around. And I got a, a huge slagging being called Pritt stick by the lads because I tried to roll a giant with Pritt stick and this was a massive social faux pas in Limerick when I was a teenager if you were hanging around with a lad and your lads and you were supposed to be a hard man he can't roll giants he used Pritt stick so I got such an immersive slagging from it and because you're 14, 15 I couldn't really take slaggings even though the lads were having crack I didn't perceive it as a bit of fun I would have perceived it as bullying and not very nice and embarrassing and it's stuck with me since so I'm now a grown fucking man and when I'm put in a situation where I have to do a rolly or a giant I will freeze my brain will freeze and even I try and try and try to get good at rolling I can't fucking do it because my muscle memory has is tied in with this experience of being called Pritstick when I was a kid. So therefore, when it comes to rolling giants, I'm thick. I'm an idiot. I, I wonder, was that too much of a digression? Was, was that too bizarre a way to try and illustrate the point I'm trying to make? The point I am trying to make is that, at times, our brains still rely upon very, very old-school mechanisms around emotions which can lead us to not make the best decisions for ourselves, to lead us to act in ways that aren't in our best interests, that aren't in the best interests of people around us, because a part of the brain kicks in, unique to all of us, that basically says, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, before I get, move on with it, let's let's get the ocarina pause out of the way quickly because we're half an hour in. Um, the ocarina pause. I don't know. There could be a digital advert. I'm just giving you a warning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So you may have heard an advert for something you don't need right there. I have the old uh, ceramic ocarina back. Lovely sound offer. Fair play to her. Also, this podcast is sponsored by you, the listener, via the Patreon page. If you're enjoying the podcast, if it's 
taking up a, a nice part of your week, if I'm accompanying you on, on walks, if you enjoy it, uh, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Um, It's basically, you know, if you met me in real life, would you like to buy me a pint or a cup of coffee once a month? You can. Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. The Patreon page is what keeps me going. It's where I get my wage. It makes huge difference to my fucking life. It brings me great security and happiness. Thank you so much to everyone who's a fucking patron, lads. I really mean that so much. Thank you so much. You keep the podcast going. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can. Please consider it. So, on to emotions and how certain emotions can make us quote-unquote be stupid i spoke about emotional intelligence or sorry uh multiple intelligences which if you want to boil down what what multiple intelligences mean you you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree fish swim they live in water they're brilliant at it okay they're fucking class ask a fish to climb a tree and they're gonna look pretty shit and they're going to look useless. And they mightn't survive. Here's a classic example I always kind of think of. Do you know your man Elon Musk? So Elon Musk is... He's a billionaire. He runs Tesla. I know he gets a lot of flack. People say that, you know, all he does really is... is he comes up with mad ideas and other scientists figure it out. Well, look, Elon Musk is, is obviously brilliant in his field. In his field, talking about what he knows about and doing his thing, he is, at the very least, what we would consider to be a very intelligent person. All right, He's smart enough to be a a multi-billionaire in the industry that he's in. All right, So we have to go fair play on that. Um, He's good at his job. Exceptional. But if you've ever seen Elon Musk on fucking Twitter, he is incredibly dumb, irrational, reactionary. And I saw a lovely quote once about Elon Musk where someone said, it's nice to wake up in the morning and see that even though Elon Musk is this incredibly successful billionaire, he still he still ruins his morning in the same way that I do, arguing with assholes on Twitter. And he went through a huge period of arguing with people on Twitter to the point that he said some shit on Twitter that caused real, you know, real trouble in the real world. He has shareholders in his company, and he went on Twitter one night and said something like he was thinking of making the. So his company was public and it had shareholders, and he was thinking of making it private again. He just decided this is what he needed to tweet, and it caused real life stress. It was for anyone watching, looking at Elon Musk. This quote-unquote genius. If you judge him on his social media ability, the man is thick as pig shit. Okay? It's... You're left going, wow. Wh- wh- why are you tweeting such stupid shit? And I think it's a big thing with Twitter. Our celebrities that we look up to, that we perceive as geniuses in their field. And then you see them on fucking Twitter. And they're just rolling around the mud. Arguing with people, saying silly things that they regret later. We look from a distance and go, Jesus Christ, will you stop? 
somebody stop this person well that to me just means that when it comes to social intelligence Elon Musk isn't great and he is being overcome by perceived threats and emotions he's not engaging his neocortex and he's making these really emotional decisions about what he needs to tweet I think Donald Trump is another example Donald Trump someone needs to take his fucking phone off him now I don't know how smart Donald Trump is but as president of the fucking United States if you look at his Twitter you go Jesus fucking Christ will you stop Donald you're going to start a war with Iran this is this. I, I, I see this behaviour as incredibly dumb and stupid why are you doing it but this incredibly dumb stupid behaviour and just to use Elon Musk as an example it's not stupidity or dumbness on a cognitive level what it is is the emotional brain taking over and the rational problem solving here and now in the present moment moment neocortex not being engaged and every single separate emotion that we experience has its own little version of this where it can act as cause us to behave in ways that are detrimental to us anger right grown men get into fights okay you know the story you're out with your fucking mates and we refer to these people as hotheads which I think is quite I think it's quite a beautiful apt phrase and I don't know how I don't I don't know how on the ball it is or whether, whether it refers to we'll say the, the amygdala but the amygdala is at the front of our heads it's right there on your on your, your forehead and sometimes when you get really emotional your forehead can feel actually hot and the phrase hothead is quite interesting in terms of that so you're out with your fucking mates one of your buddies is very easily triggered into fights this can be someone who could have a family he could have a fucking job and all of a sudden this person is triggered by some slight with another lad or whatever you know, a comment is made, a look is given, and now all of a sudden this person is putting themselves in a situation where, most importantly, when two grown adult men fight, there's a very strong t- chance that someone can die. P- people die in fights, okay? Hit someone a slap, they fall on the ground, they hit their head off the fucking curb, they're dead. That happens. Secondly, you put yourself in a situation where you could be arrested, charged with assault, you could lose your fucking job. You put all your friends' lives in danger and their livelihoods in danger. But yet, time and time again, every fucking weekend, and drink doesn't even have to be involved. Drink just makes this shit easier. You have someone making incredibly silly and dumb decisions that they now need to get into a fight with another grown adult human, despite all these consequences. And you could be looking back going, that stupid fucker. Similarly, not in a physically violent way, but have you found yourself getting into, we'll say your anger is triggered. 
the angry part of you is triggered, but usually with someone you care deeply about, a partner or a sibling or a good friend, and something they've said or done has caused you now to experience a degree of anger where you feel it around your body, your teeth clench, your fists clench, and now all of a sudden, you don't feel like you have control over your words anymore or your actions and this person who you care about and love you're now saying the most hurtful thing you can possibly say to this person the most horrible hurtful thing that you don't even believe you just know it's going to hurt them in the moment and you're saying this to them and then you have to leave that situation and later on you go why the fuck did I do that why did I say that really really mean thing to this person that I care and love about Why was I so silly? I don't even mean it. That right there is what I'm talking about. You're behaving there in a way that could be perceived as dumb and silly. It's not within your best interest. It's not within the best interest of the other person. It's not in the best interest of your relationship. And it can can work as well with uh, social situations. If you're the type of person who is anxious in social situations in general you could be quite an an intelligent person on your own or maybe with another person but then you find yourself in a group of people and you're saying silly things to try and make other people laugh or you're giving people too many compliments or you're unable to even a conversation is brought up about something that you should know about and you can't even recount the facts and you're consistently terminally shy and aware of every element of your behaviour and very self-conscious and completely unable to effectively communicate use your vocabulary even listen properly to the other person and then you leave that situation and later on you go what the fuck did I do that for? Why Why are you so stupid? Why are you behaving in a way that's so dumb? And in each of those situations, in the anger situation and in the situation with the social thing, every time the same thing has happened, the primitive part of the brain has taken over, it has caused a flood of emotions which has asked for, in the anger, it's a form of fight, in the social situation, it's not fight. What it is, is 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 a freeze as such. When when you're in a social situation and you're so self-conscious that you become subservient to other people, that when you're in the social situation, you're not meeting the other person as they are. Instead, what you're trying to do is to please them. To either... to be so anxious that all you want to do is to say things for them to like you that is a form of freezing that's the part of your brain telling you to freeze because freeze is basically your emotional brain is saying this other person is a predator they want to kill me so maybe if I wag my tail it's like a little dog think of like dog we've bred dogs to be subservient dogs used to be wolves 
that would stare us out of it and attack us, but we found the friendliest wolves and bred very, very obedient, subservient dogs. And some dogs, when you meet them, they will put this lovely little smile on their face, wiggle their bodies, uh, wag their tails, and then get down on their backs and show you their bellies to let you know, you are the boss, please don't hurt me. A lot of us do that in social situations, lads. And that can be crippling for a lot of people because as adult humans, we know our neocortex, the problem-solving, intelligent part of our brains, understands and knows I am not subservient to other people. Other people are not better than me. We're all the same age. We're all at a fucking party. Why did I lick everybody's arse? Why, when I spoke, I fumbled my words out? Why did I feel my face going red? Why did I shower someone in compliments? Why did I say those things that I know are so dumb and I did it in that situation? You turn into the little dog in that situation because that's the freeze part of your brain was triggered by the amygdala and the thalamus. Right? And the knock-on effect from that, which can be shitty as adults, both those situations, what comes with them, is a great amount of shame. The man who goes out and almost has a fight, or does have a fight, in the moment, they feel justified, they feel angry, but the next day they don't. Unless they have kind of sociopathic tendencies or such severe elements of anger that they won't take any ownership and even the next day they're saying no that fucker in the bar was wrong he deserved it but most adults won't do that most adults the day after will say oh for fuck's sake everyone was looking and I was squaring up to a grown man and everyone was embarrassed and now I feel very embarrassed about this that degree of shame about reappraising your behaviour in a shameful fashion and essentially self-flagellating that shit's not good for mental health long term at all similarly the person who is so shy in a social situation the next day who is sitting down on their couch engaging their neocortex the problem solving thinking part of their brain the part of themselves that's confident they look back and say for fuck's sake why did you lick everyone's arse you piece of shit and then you now have a negative cycle of self-talk around subservience which ultimately what it does it just makes the problem worse it makes you want to avoid social situations because you think what's the fucking point I'm just going to go to that party not enjoy myself be worried about being nervous be concerned about having a red face feel very fucking anxious and I'll do it all again so I'm just going to avoid it And it can lead to avoidance behaviours. And it can lead to issues with connecting with other people, with intimacy. All because, not all because, but a factor of it being the emotional part of the brain took over. And it caused you to freeze like a small dog wagging its tail. And what both of these things are, what I kind of, what I call it sometimes, it's, it's, it's when you're... It's when I feel like I'm, I'm living in my head. That's what I say. It's 
Like that social situation I described there. I would have done that. When I was 19, 20 at the height of my anxiety and social situations were a trigger for me, I would have done that. I would have found myself in groups of peers not connecting with people, not being myself, really feeling the need to impress people as opposed to just simply being there and going, no, how I am is good enough. I don't need to impress anyone. I just need to have crack. Um, that was a big, big one for me. It's not anymore, thank fuck. But how I remember experiencing it as living in my head you're never a good way to spot it is someone who's like that they don't have a real ability to verbally communicate with other people classic example you're having a conversation with somebody you're so self-conscious that you're not really listening to what the other person is saying what you're doing is you're waiting for them to finish speaking so you can speak and that's not communication and it comes from an anxiety of not being in a social situation because ultimately your self-esteem says I'm not good enough I'm not as good as these other people I'm not a real person and people pick up on this shit and it can have the problem with that behaviour is some humans can pick up subservient behaviour and in a very pack-like way kind of run with it and then you end up becoming the runt. You soon find yourself being the butt of jokes and things like that, you know? And that can be very tough for people with social anxiety who are in these situations and it can make people very angry and resentful of other people. We can also find ourselves being... our emotional brain being engaged you know, not even in situations. The lad who is starting to scrap in the pub, you know, that person's trigger is anger. You know, what gets their hypothalamus and their amygdala to take over the brain is the emotion of anger. But, like, it happening in a pub and manifesting itself as a potential physical fight, that's an exceptional circumstance. It's only a small percentage of people whose anger will trigger their brains in those situations. Most people, it doesn't manifest as scrapping in a pub. What it manifests as is intense anger while they're on their own. Being on your own, in your room or whatever, and really fixating on an argument you had with someone the other day or an argument you haven't had yet, or thinking about what you should have said, or thinking about what you would like to say, but truly experiencing it as rage on your fucking own. Okay? A lot of people live their lives in that way, which means you're consistently living in your head. When you live that way, where it's a non-stop rage-filled fantasy of getting revenge or wronging rights, writing perceived wrongs, all these things. That's a consistent existence or large parts of your day where 
you're not engaging the neocortex. So you're essentially hot-headed all day and only the emotional brain is being used. And you're then expected to behave as a person who is supposed to be making rational decisions. So you're sitting at your office desk. You have responsibilities and demands and jobs to be done. And now all of a sudden you're incredibly forgetful. Your memory is unreliable. You can't stick to deadlines. You can't envision goals. You can't plan. Your timekeeping is shit. Here's a... Yeah, that's another fucking thing, lads. When you live intensely emotionally, right? And I when I when I say emotionally, I mean the emotional flooding, the intense stuff in your head. When you live like that, you don't perceive time correctly. Okay? A bit like cuz there's good things with this as well. If you have a lovely daydream for yourself, a nice peaceful relaxful relaxing daydream, th- that's a form of of emotional flooding that's good. When you hear a joke and all of a sudden you scream laughing, that's the same thing. It's the primitive part of your brain that does that too, but these are the positive things. But when it's the negative emotions, such as rage and anger, you could spend an hour sitting on your bed or sitting in your office and you're staring into the abyss, fantasizing about arguments that have happened or haven't happened. An hour could pass and you'd go, fuck me was that an hour I thought it was five minutes that can destroy a person's ability to truly function as effectively as they can be as a human being because the neocortex the thinking rational part of the brain is not being engaged so how are you supposed to plan how are you supposed to have deadlines how are you supposed to set and meet goals how are you supposed to live a meaningful existence when this is the way it is. Now imagine how that person is being perceived by the, their co-workers. Don't give them that job. Their head is up their arse. They missed three deadlines last week. They keep coming in late. They're thick. They're fucking stupid. Don't rely upon them. The simplest things in the world. You give that person the simplest fucking task in the world. And they will let you down. They're thick as pig shit fire them out the door the person it's the person might be incredibly capable of their job they might be very intelligent well able to do it but the problem is the emotion is stopping the engagement of the rational problem solving thinking part of the brain it doesn't have to be anger it can be worry you can worry a lot worry is anxiety essentially you're focusing a hell of a lot on terrible things that might happen, that haven't happened, various fantasies and scenarios of how things will go wrong, how you will be rejected, how you will end up, same shit. What does that do to your memory? If you're thinking anxiously, non-stop, living in your head, the amygdala and the hypothalamus doing their thing, your memory is fucked. You can't remember what happened two weeks ago. Your perception, if, if you're living that way for six months of the year, for an entire fucking year, people can live that way. Because you're not here and now 
engage in the fucking neocortex experiencing life with all the smells and sounds and sensations and emotions that go with it you're not perceiving time properly so your perception of time and memory is fucked up as well and a lot of us go about our lives this way and people around us look at us and go they're fucking thick they're incapable they're stupid and it has nothing to do with these things it's not a lack of cognitive ability or skill it is simply that we are being slaves to our negative emotions so how do you kind of get around it um a big one the biggest of all having the self awareness to know when this is happening that's the real key that's how I started when I was in social situations because that was my trigger um, anger the odd time the odd time no actually no I would I would my main trigger would have been the social anxiety situation so if I found myself in a challenging situation such as being at a party and I would be coming away from these parties feeling drained feeling unhappy feeling as if I said and did things that were foolish that I was self-conscious I would train myself the first part was obviously learning this shit that I'm saying to you now the beauty of psychology is and I I get it a lot from feedback with these podcasts and I know it myself because this shit that I'm talking about I might have read this out in books 10 years ago when you hear something about psychology about about a way that you behave and you click with it and you say to yourself fuck it that that's what this is it doesn't feel like you're hearing something new what's actually happening is that you're simply receiving words for something you already know deep inside in your unconscious so if you're listening to this going fuck it that's exactly how i am at parties or that's exactly how i am in the office with anger you you know this already you just don't have the language for it so by me giving you that language it just unlocks a key and then you get this lovely feeling of catharsis because you're like finally i fucking knew this i just didn't have the words for it so that's step one to be honest step two and it's how i enacted it is i became aware that okay when i'm in social situations when i'm in parties when i'm talking to a group of people more than one person I find myself really fucking behaving differently and behaving in ways that I don't feel is me trying to impress people going out of my way to make people laugh giving someone too many compliments doing these things that afterwards I feel a sense of shame I feel like I became a little dog who rolled around with his belly and wagged his tail and begged everyone not to kick them that's basically what I would do 10, 10, 12, 13 years ago at parties I'd become aware of it and I'd say right how do I tackle this so I would start to notice ways of being whether it be how my I'd find myself I'd, I'd, I'd rub my knees a lot maybe you know when you're anxious it brings up this this energy and the energy has to go somewhere usually through your limbs so you'll find yourself 
classic fucking example, lads. If you want to look at a group of people and spot the person with social anxiety, what are they doing? They are the person who has a beer in their hand and what they're doing is they're slowly peeling that beer off the label. They're slowly peeling the label off the beer. Or they have a beer mat in their hand and they're ripping the beer mat to little pieces and they have a pile of beer mat in front of them. That's the person who has social anxiety because the emotional flooding that's happening in their brain and all the anxious chemicals going around the body, they have to manifest themselves in some type of physical self-management behaviour such as playing with a label or playing with a beer mat. Or for me, it was... Yeah, I would have been ripping. Ripping all the fucking labels off the beers. Or rubbing my fucking... My knees. Or biting my nails. So I would become aware of these... Physical... Markers, we'll say. So I'd go... Hold on a second. I'm I'm ripping the fucking thing off this beer now. I don't need to be doing that. And if I'm doing that... I'm not engaging in conversations. So I would take the... The beer... Label ripping off as the sign. And I'd go... Right... I'm in my head right now. And I'd check in at myself. I was also... Meditation is very handy for this shit. Remember a couple of weeks ago I did the guided meditation with you. And that guided meditation, at the start of it, I did what's known as a body scan. The body scan is the... That is the opposite of this negative shit I'm talking about now. If you want to get out of your head, if you find yourself consumed with anger, consumed with worry, consumed with anxiety, and you're amygdala and your thalamus are what are driving the they're at the driving seat basically if you want to disengage them and get back into your neocortex the big big complex part of your brain that problem solves and experiences emotions properly if you want to get out of that a great way is the body scan exercise and I would find myself doing that in social situations so I'm going right I'm fucking with my beer mat I'm fucking with my beer label body scan quick body scan so I'd shut the fuck up and I'd silently sit and all I'd do is I would from the floor up to the top of my head I'd, just, I'd be looking at people, I'd be nodding my head or I might even go away to a little corner myself and I would, I'd, I'd go i notice my feet on the ground and then I'd imagine like a light going up through my body and I'd say, I can feel my calves I notice my thighs and my arse on the chair I notice and feel the small of my back and my shoulders against the chair and finally I notice and feel the top of my head and then once I've done that I'd go I am in a room with lots of people it's a bar and I'd say these little things internally to myself about what I'm doing and where I am and I would make damn sure that I'm physically in my body checking in with my environment because what that does is like that's really complex think of the complexity that you're asking your brain in that situation you're thinking about yourself you're using abstract thoughts you're focusing your mind's eye down into into your foot into your knees the amygdala and the thalamus your lizard brain they don't do that shit that's the neocortex that's the really complex I'm fucking with the uh my thing here now, the, the the pop shield. But those are the complex pop shields gone. Those are the complex part of your brain. And that's what you engage with a body scan. So I would do this in social situations. All of a sudden my breathing changes. I'm now breathing slowly, like when I meditate. 
So then the second thing that I would do is I would say to myself, I'm anxious in social situations. I'm under no fucking obligation to really... I don't, have, I don't really want to speak to anyone. I don't have to. So what I started to do, I started to become really, really good at just listening. If you're a socially anxious person and you find yourself needing to please people or you find yourself embarrassing yourself, shut the fuck up. Just breathe. Listen to someone. Be mindful of, of, of eye contact. Check in with being relaxed. Get really, really comfortable in another person speaking to you and let them talk and nod your head and listen to what they're saying. And if they're talking about something that's sad, check in with the empathic sadness that you feel by simply listening to someone telling you something sad or if they're telling you something that's angry or if they're telling you something that's funny. And I used to start to practice this in social situations and all of a sudden it stopped becoming, I didn't get have the social anxiety. I didn't mind being at these things. I found that I don't need to tell people these things that are happening in my life. I don't need to make someone laugh. I don't need to impress someone. All I need is to be present for them. And if I feel like speaking, I will when relevant. But I'm not going to talk for the sake of it. And I'm listening to what they're saying. And I'm not waiting for them to finish. So I can blurt out whatever the fuck. So they think I'm cool. And it all happened around. Essentially mindfulness. Being aware of my environment. Understanding and spotting. When I'm getting these emotional triggers. And actively doing something about it. Not at home in my bedroom in the social situations and it really worked and I tell you another fucking thing and this is really fucking mad I used to think if I go to parties and I speak and talk or talk about stories or facts that I knew facts actually that's what I'd do just be roaring facts at people because it would keep me from a genuine uh, conversation, raw facts about fucking giraffes' necks or whatever, in the hopes that they would think that I'm interesting or they would think that, that you know, my self esteem was telling me that I was an, an utter piece of shit, so that if you roar facts at someone, they might at least think you're interesting. When you learn to simply listen and say nothing, people end up thinking that you're fucking interesting because people don't want to hear what you're saying, people just want to be heard. So if you're a socially anxious person and you can go to becoming the person who sits back and simply genuinely listens and genuinely reflects the emotions that the other person is saying, a knock-on effect is people will think you're interesting even though you've said nothing. Because what you've done there is you've satisfied their need to be heard. Do you know? With anger, same shit. Become aware if you're sitting at your desk and you're fantasizing about an argument you might have had or going to the extreme and you're fantasizing about choking someone or hitting them a slap. Here's the thing. Do you really want to carry that person around all day? If your anger is, is to such a degree that it's affecting your fucking work, 
your home life that you 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 finish your work day and you get into the car and drive home an hour has passed in the car and you don't even fucking remember the journey you might as well have downloaded yourself from work to home because you spent the entire journey gritting your teeth really sit with yourself ask yourself why the fuck am i giving my time my life away to this fantasy person in my head who i'm arguing with with shit that hasn't even happened yet or or shit that has happened that i've no control over or shit that hasn't happened yet that i don't even know will arguments that don't exist other than the fantasy in your head really rationally sit with that and engage the neocortex and say and and say to yourself do i need this in my life and use the same grounding exercise catch yourself in the moment fantasizing with this anger and ground yourself use a simple grounding exercise check in with your body feel your feet on the floor feel notice what the anger does to your body notice your teeth clenching notice your shoulders hunched your fists clenched and relax it all and doing this again the complexity of these actions is going to your your hypothalamus or your thalamus and your amygdala they're not you don't need them anymore do you know what it's like it's kind of like if you're fucking driving a car right imagine trying to drive everywhere in first gear do you know what i mean first gear in a car is is quite useful for one thing you start up the car you get into first gear and it's very powerful at the start and it gives you that initial boost first gear is the thalamus and the amygdala it has a very limited purpose but if you try and do a full journey on first fucking gear forget about it it's really irrational you'll fuck up your engine you'll lose all use all the petrol it'll be loud it'll be uncomfortable it's disturbing for everyone else on the fucking road that's what this is so say to yourself do i want to be living my life in first gear or do i want to move up to fourth or fifth or fucking cruise control and relax and that's what it is you can't start a a, a car on fucking second third uh, fourth you need first gear it serves its purpose but for an entire journey it's ridiculous so check in with the body check in with the emotions feel yourself present and do that as much as you need to do throughout your day when you feel the primitive emotions taking over and causing you to behave your life behave in a way that dumb and thick and stupid and is against your own interests and the interests of the people around you take responsibility for it in the moment same with worry these are all really achievable things and i just wanted to talk about it this week because it it affects everyone it fucking affects everyone and it's just one other little aspect of mental health that we kind of look over and then to kind of finish it too think of the people around you all right this is where we can use not just for ourselves but compassion for other people your friend who's forgetful 
who shit at deadlines, who looks as if they try, but when they do try, it doesn't work out. The friend who you find yourself calling thick, stupid, unreliable. Try not doing that. Instead, ask yourself, is the instead of this person being thick or stupid or dumb or these horrible labels, maybe they're living in their head. Maybe their emotion is taken over and as a result, they're behaving in a way that you perceive to be dumb or stupid. And then ask yourself, what can I compassionately do to maybe help them or assist them? Or if not even to help them or assist them, to give them a break, to relax. You're at a party, you're chilled out, you're grand, but your friend is a ball of fucking nerves. Don't snap at them. Let them be a ball of nerves. Figure out a way that you can relax them without causing them embarrassment your friend who is a hothead and is going to start an argument maybe don't call him a stupid cunt maybe don't tell him to cop on maybe try and use an approach that's much more closer to love and compassion and friendship and see how that gets you because that's another thing compassion and love especially around anger that would cut straight into anger honest compassion Honest compassion comes about by disclosing your own own vulnerability as such. Instead of going, here, jar, cop on to yourself, starting another fucking fight. I'm not fighting. I'm not getting into a fight now because you're going to start one. Go up to jar and say, Jesus, jar, you look very angry. I'm I'm picking up from you that you seem to be very angry. What's that about? And then Jar will say, that fucking idiot over there, he looked at me, he looked at me this way, or he thinks he's fucking great. And then say something like, and how does that feel, Jar? And those type of questions, those are questions that psychotherapists use, basically, to override the emotional brain and get the neo- neocortex going. If you say to Jar, I'm noticing you're really angry, Jar, in a fucking pub, and you're going, how's that feeling for you? You're not going... Because the wrong answer, or the wrong thing to say is, he's not looking at you, Jar. He doesn't think he's full of himself. Cop on. These, all these things, they just serve the emotional part of the brain. But when you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm noticing, Jar, you're really, really angry. How's that feel? Jar then has to stop and engage the neocortex and go, it feels, feels a bit silly, to be honest. Yeah, because I'm thinking about getting this pint glass and twisting it into his face. That wouldn't work out too well for me, would it? It wouldn't, Char, no. I'm glad to see you using your neocortex. Do you want another pint? Problem solved. And that's known as open questioning. I might do a podcast on that at some point, actually. that That's a technique that psychotherapists use. If you've been to therapy and you think the therapist is doing fuck all and they're not telling you anything, yeah, their job isn't to tell you something. Their job is to ask you questions in such a way that you have to search inside for your own answers. Do you know? Right, 80 minutes into the podcast. I enjoyed that. I do, I do enjoy an owl. I get something out of those those podcasts as well, you know. I, I like doing podcasts like this because it allows me to check in on shit that... I use this stuff in my mental health regime 
and I hadn't thought about this emotional stuff about emotional triggering like that hadn't thought about it in a few years and just it popped into my head to do this podcast so even even doing that and speaking about it it brought a lot of stuff up in me that was relegated to the pre-conscious mind we'll say and now it's in my awareness again so thank you for sharing that with me you pricks all right god bless have a have a lovely week enjoy yourself i'll be next i'll be back next week Yart. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 